it is commonly reported that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. You're puffed up. You have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. But by the grace of God, we can still benefit from the ministry and teaching of Dr. John G. Mitchell. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 brings out several serious topics. There's the subject of discipline in the church, the difference between liberty and license, the three reasons for death, and five different leavens. And the Christian is to be characterized by the unleavened bread as sincerity and a truth. Here is Dr. Mitchell, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and we are studying together the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthian church, a church that was very strong, possibly wealthy, and there were the big problem was the, the word had come into the church with its philosophies, with its boasted wisdom, and with that came also permissiveness in society. I want to say to you what a picture today of many, many churches which we have throughout the world. And God gave to us this Epistle to the Corinthian church for our admonition unto whom the end of the age has come. And even though Paul may be very caustic at times, but he does it with a heart full of compassion and tenderness for the ones to whom he speaks. I'm ever amazed at the depth of love this man had for God's people. Of course, it was Christ himself living out his life through this man, Paul. And in the first four chapters, we've been dealing with the believer in his relationship to God and especially one to another. And the testimony of the gospel at Corinth was becoming affected by the worldliness and by the divisions in the church. 
So in the first four chapters, we have a contrast of the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. And remember, the wisdom of man is foolishness with God. It's true in chapter 1, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Ridiculous. And yet when you come later on, you find that the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. In fact, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. In other words, man's philosophy is foolishness with God. There's a tremendous difference between those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. Now, when we come to chapters 5 and 6, there is given to us discipline in the church. We have sin here in the assembly, and Paul begins to deal with it. It's not, these two chapters are cut right out of your heart. And before we take it up, I want to say this. Paul is more concerned about the assembly, the local assembly of God's people, uh, than anything else. Even with the man who was in trouble in fifth chapter and the ones who were in trouble in the sixth chapter. Dealing here with morals. Or if you want to put it, discipline in the church, five to six. And in chapter five, you have where immorality is rebuked in the first two verses. It is commonly reported that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. You're puffed up. You have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Is this in the church? Yes. And my friend, may I just say, if Paul were running today, I'm afraid he'd have to say the same thing in some places. We have allowed the permissiveness of society with its sins to come right among God's people. Oh, the need for us to walk day by day in the presence of the Lord, the need for reading and rereading the Word of God. It'll keep you clean. When I think today of the condition in our own country in America, this land which has been so blessed of God, and I see the permissiveness of sin, which is so prevalent in our society, uh, sweeping over into the body of Christ, into the church, the local church, whatever city it is, whatever church you're in, it is coming in like a flood. And Paul here talks about it. And he says, you're puffed up. Here's a, here's a young fellow in the church. And he's taken his father's wife. I take it must be a stepmother. And he's committed fornication. And instead of the church being sorry for it and mourning over it and dealing with it, they were kind of puffed up about it. You know, this idea of liberty is being pushed beyond the place where it is liberty. There's a difference between liberty and license. Liberty you have concern for the other party, but not with license. And so instead of 
instead of judging it, they were permitting it, boasting about it, puffed up. Even beyond the Gentiles, Gentile pagans outside the church, you wouldn't hear about this sort of a thing. How often times do Christians do things that even their unsaved neighbors wouldn't do? And these, these Corinthian Christians should have cried unto God instead of being puffed up. And Paul condemns it without any reservation. I want you to mark one thing I'm going to say over and over again. Discipline in the church leads to the restoration of the believer. That's the reason for discipline. You find that in, in Hebrews chapter 12, from verses 6 to 11, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, chastening is not very pleasant, but it produces the peaceable fruits of righteousness. The purpose is twofold. Discipline, to cleanse the church, the local church, and the, and the restoration of the one who was sinned. You get this thing very clear. Now, the, the judgment is pronounced in verses 3 to 5. And keep this in mind that the judgment, the discipline, is for the purpose of restoration. Now, listen to what Paul says in 3 to 5. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. My, I'm telling you, what a judgment is this. Notice the seriousness of it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver this one over. Here's an action you must take. You deliver him over. Instead of being puffed up about this thing, you deliver this brother over for the destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved at the coming and the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a company and how serious the charge. Physical death. It's possible that Christians can die prematurely. And notice what he does. In the presence of Paul, in the presence of the assembly, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, my, what a company. I'm reminded, by the way, if I were to digress for a moment, I'm reminded of how Paul wrote to Timothy and charging Timothy to be true to the Lord. And he did it in the presence of God, before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ and before the elect angels. My, what a company to be charged with being true to God. And I think of it here in this passage. What a company. Here's the local assembly. Here's the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is the judgment? Verse 5. He is to be delivered over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Physical death 
You mean God will do that? Yes, that his soul might be saved. Remember, the church at Corinth is being affected. It's ruining, it, ruining its testimony. It's dishonoring the Savior. Here's one living worse than the people in paganism. What will they think about the church? The testimony's gone. It's so severe that Paul came and pronounced death on this person. I say again, it's possible for a Christian to die prematurely. You know, there are three reasons for death for a Christian. I can die because my work is finished. Do you remember that? Uh, take Second Timothy chapter 4, 6 to 8, where Paul says, The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. There is therefore laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. He'd finished his task. His job was done. He was going to go home. So one can die because the work's done. And then a Christian can die for the glory of God. Uh, I would suggest John 21. You remember where after resurrection, our Lord talked to his disciples by the seashore. And he asked Peter the question, Peter, do you love me? He asked that three times. Peter's answer was, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then the Lord says, Peter, when you get to be old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Signifying by what death he would glorify God. Peter was martyred for his testimony's sake. He died for the glory of God. So let me repeat, one can die. I'm talking about Christians now. I'm not talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about believers in Christ. We can die because our work is finished. We can die for the glory of God. And thirdly, we can die under the chastening hand of God, which we have here. For example, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they were in the church and they deceived Peter. They lied against the Spirit of God and they were delivered over for, for physical death. The judgment of God came upon them. You have it also in the book of Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, verses 30 to 32, for this cause, the Lord's table, for example, for this cause, many are weak, many sickly among you, and many sleep, because they did not discern the Lord's body in the communion service. That's very serious. In First John chapter 5, we have another one. In First John 5, uh, there, Paul, uh, John writes, there is a sin unto death. He's talking about the brethren. If your brother sin a sin unto death, I do not say you shall make inquiry concerning it. There's such a thing as a Christian dying prematurely. Some for a moral issue. Uh, like this one is a moral issue. The one in uh, Acts chapter 5 is a moral issue. I do not know what the one is in 1 John 5. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in fact, you have it twice in Timothy, 
that two men were given over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that they might learn not to blaspheme. Now, whether these were Christians or not, I don't know. But you have their physical death came as a punishment because of spreading false doctrine, saying that the resurrection was past already. It's a serious business. I'm telling you, my friends, it's a serious thing to sin with impotence, to sin just like this. It's rather strange that you go through your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Some of the sins that God is especially against are sins of immorality. Whenever you think of the judgment of God upon sin and they're laid out like you have it in, in, the, in the book of Mark where the Lord Jesus said, out of the heart of man proceed. And he gives you 13 sins there. Likewise, at the end of Romans chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 5, most of the sins mentioned are sins of corruption. And God is against it. And in this case, it's very severe. Now remember, allow me to repeat, delivered such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved at the appearing of the Lord, at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Two things involved, the cleansing of the local assembly so they can become usable in the hands of the Spirit of God to promulgate the gospel to their pagan neighbors. And secondly, the boy, the young man, is judged because of this terrible thing. Now, let me inject this. The footage of this was restoration. When you come to 2 Corinthians, Paul stands by this young man in 2 Corinthians because the Corinthian church was going the other extreme. So he took the manifest love, godly sorrow, work its repentance. The man repented and is restored back into fellowship. So I repeat it again. That discipline of a believer is for the purpose of restoration. Now, the effect of the sin in the assembly, in verses 6 to 8, your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are and leaven. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, the effect of the sin in the assembly, defilement affects the whole assembly. And hence, sin must be judged in the assembly for the assembly's sake. You take a, a barrel of apples, a rotten apple in a barrel can ruin the whole barrel. So defilement in the assembly will affect the assembly. Purge out the old leaven. What do you mean by that? Well, listen, friend, in the Scriptures, leaven is looked upon as that which is bad, that which is corrupt. Leaven is always a picture of corruption. Oftentimes you hear people talk about the leaven of the gospel. There's no such thing as the leaven of the gospel. Leaven is, a, is corruption. You take, for example... In, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 and 12, our, our Savior warns the disciples concerning the, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And going on and on to verse 12, that passage, uh, he had to explain to them, 
It was of the doctrine, the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The doctrine, the leaven of the Pharisees is formalism, empty formalism. Whereas the the leaven of the Sadducees is rationalism. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the power of God. They didn't believe in resurrections and so on. You remember in the Gospels, our Lord is mostly opposed by Pharisees. When you come to the book of Acts, the early church was mostly opposed by the Sadducees. Now why? Because the Lord Jesus went after the Pharisees on their empty formalism. And they didn't like it one little bit, and they opposed him. Whereas when you come to the book of Acts, the early church's great message was the resurrection of Christ. About 30 times it's mentioned in the book of Acts. And the Sadducees were opposed to anything that was supernatural. And then in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, we have the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, if, 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 the, if the leaven of the Pharisees was formalism and the leaven of the Sadducees was rationalism, the leaven of the Herodians was worldliness. Their lives are controlled entirely by the world. And, may I add, the leaven of the Corinthian church was carnality, though living in the desires of the flesh. The leaven of the Galatian church was legality, adding to the work of Christ. So I say that leaven is not a sign of goodness, it's a sign of badness. And the reason for the exhortation is that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now you go back into the book of Exodus chapter 12, where you have the Passover. And they could never eat the Passover with leaven in their houses. They had to clean their houses of everything that was tarnished with leaven. They had to get rid of it. The feast is a holy one. Our feast is a holy one because of his sacrifices. And how shall we fellowship together except when we are feasting on him? We are to fellowship together with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, not the leaven of malice and wickedness. Now remember, he has just been rebuking them for their for being puffed up because of an awful sin in the assembly. Now he says, remember, don't use the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And as we fellowship together with the unleavened bread of sincerity of truth, then you have a wonderful experience of living together, fellowshipping together, serving together in the presence of the one our Savior, who, blessed be his name, is able to meet the need of every believer. Again, I want to remind you, there are two things involved here. The restoration of this man from his terrible sin of fornication, and then to bring the assembly where it ought to be. If they in Christ, covered with the righteousness of Christ, then they ought to put away from them everything that is absolutely unrighteous and unholy. See? So I leave that with you today. May the Lord grant to you that joy and that blessing of 
intimate fellowship with the Savior and with each other, whatever local church you belong to. How can the Spirit of God move if there is sin in the assembly? And if there's sin there, it ought to be dealt with by the assembly. Not only for the assembly's sake, but for the sake of the one who is the transgressor, which means restoration, that God may be glorified in all things. And may the Lord wonderfully, wonderfully bless you today. And we'll continue our study in Corinthians in our next lesson. Please read it through, will you? And may you enjoy his fellowship, his joy, his blessing, his peace that passeth the understanding of men. May God grant this to you today for his name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.